Well, I wanted to start with a, a, a little story here. Um, there was a, an American pastor, and as he was driving along on the road, his, uh, his car broke down in this, this backwoods country road, and so he walked to a nearby roadhouse to use their phone. This is in the days before cell phones, in case you're wondering. Um, so back in the day, we actually had these things that were mounted to cables, sometimes to a wall, sometimes to a desk, and you would have to find one, remember what number you want to dial, punch it in on a keypad and then hope that someone was answering. So uh, in case, case you're you know, from a little bit before the whole cell phone thing, uh, or, or I should say uh, after the whole cell phone revolution, that's, that's what was happening here, all right? And so he called a tow truck and then he spotted his old friend, Frank. Now, Frank was at the bar, drunk and shabbily dressed. And so he walks over to Frank and he's like, Frank, what happened to you? You used to be rich and now look at you, you're, you're like slovenly and you're, you're drunk and you're here in this backwoods area. And so Frank opened up to him and shared this really sad tale of some bad investments that led to his downfall. And the pastor, he felt bad for Frank. And so he, he told him, you know what you need to do, Frank? You need to go home open your Bible at random, stick your finger on the page, and there will be God's answer for you. So sometime later, the pastor bumped into Frank again, and Frank this time was wearing a Gucci suit. He was sporting a Rolex watch, and he had just stepped out of a brand new Mercedes. And the pastor's just like, whoa, Frank, I'm glad to see that things have really turned around for you. And he says, yes, pastor, and I owe it all to you. I opened my Bible that day, I put my finger down on the page, and there was the answer, chapter 11. So I went down to the courts, filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy, and I got my debts reorganized. In all seriousness, though, like many of us have different ways that we approach the Bible and view the Bible, right? And I would say that truthfully, there is no book in history that is scrutinized by the number and variety of people as the Bible. Now, it's safe to say that generally speaking, those who call themselves Christians hold the Bible in fairly high esteem, right? Like, usually. Usually that's the case. But how the average follower of Jesus approaches and understands the Bible can vary quite wildly. And in fact, the approach that we see in this story, part of the reason I think it's funny is because we probably know someone whose approach to the Bible is to go, what does God have me, for me today? And just open it up and go, here's where I'm reading. That's God's word for me. But did you know that there's actually a name for this approach to scripture? It's called bibliomancy. It's actually a form of divination and superstition. And I do not recommend it as an approach to biblical study, all right? It's, it's not a great thing, not a great way to go. I had another joke about it, but Em said it was insensitive when I ran it by her, so I'm not going to share that one. But just know it was really funny, all right? So, uh, <laughs> uh, today we're starting a series. I alluded to it earlier, and you saw on the screen there. Uh, it's a new series called You Ask. 
asked for it. And so what we've got, we've got a, uh, a link that we've been putting out on our social media that we've got uh, a QR code to that's been on our pre-roll slides and all of that, where you can go in and anonymously leave your questions about church, faith, the Bible, Jesus, all of that kind of stuff. And, and we want to try to answer some of these difficult questions that are on the minds of people around us, whether Christian or unchristian, uh, in, in the, uh, the church here today or online, whatever it might be, we want to have an opportunity just to address some of these things. And so the first question we're going to address, well, we're going to address it this week, it's how can we take the Bible literally? Now, we've all heard people say, you know, I, I believe in the literal words of God in the Bible. I, I, I am just, I'm going to do literally what the Bible says right here and right now. And so I'm going to, I'm just going to briefly share. And some people are going to be like, what are you talking about, pastor? Here's how we, should we and how can we take the Bible literally? Well, my answer in short for you today is we can't and we shouldn't. See, I saw some heads snap up. You're all awake now. But we can trust everything in the Bible is true. We're going to talk a little bit more, a little bit later in the message, as to why it is that a truly literal approach to the Bible is not something anybody actually takes. All right? But right now, I want to pray. Because we need all the grace we can get as we approach topics like these, all right? So Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that you are so good that you left us this guidebook, this love letter, this, uh, this revelation of who you are, Lord God. And that in it, you teach us so many valuable things and, and that you have, you have showed us uh, so much about the freedom and the, the blessings and the purpose of life that, that we receive through the restoration of our relationship with God the Father through Jesus, your sacrifice on the cross and your resurrection. And so today I ask, Lord God, that you will ready us to receive what you have to say to us today. And God, that you will take these feeble human words that I'm about to speak and make them something worthwhile through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to start off by telling you the easy Christian answer, all right? If you, if you let, let's put literally to the side for a second. Let's put seriously in its place for a moment, all right? If, if, if you were to ask most of us, how can I know that the Bible should be taken seriously or that it's authoritative, that it's the word of God? Most of the Christians in this room are already probably actually thinking of a Sunday school verse you learned. It's found in 2 Timothy, right? You know the one I'm, I'm going to refer to? It's this one here, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. We as Christians, we read this, we're like, yeah, see, the Bible is amazing. It's awesome and all of that. But the challenge is what happens when you don't believe that the Bible is trustworthy or authoritative and then you go to the Bible and you're given a passage that says that the thing that you don't trust in is something that you should trust in. You see the problem? <laughs> like, oh, I don't believe in this thing, but if the thing I don't believe in says I should believe in it, then definitely I'm going to believe in it. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit of God works through the words of Scripture, and there are many people who didn't believe what it said, read it, and God just pff, gave them truth 
in that moment. But if we're having a completely rational discussion with someone, and they're like, why should I take anything the Bible says as authoritative in my life? And you pull out that scripture, they're going to go, how nice. Yay. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so today I want to take this from a, a little bit of a different approach. All right. The thing I want you to remember today is that you can trust the Bible because it is accurate, reliable, and applicable. When we take these three things, accuracy, reliability, and applicability, that's a word, you suddenly begin to come to a place where it is natural to actually trust the source that is like that. Now, obviously, we wouldn't trust something if it wasn't accurate, right? If we were like, this thing's just completely made up, it's not accurate, like nothing it says is true, obviously we're not going to be like, but I trust it. Same thing, if it wasn't reliable, right? If, if the things that, that it said, we, we, we based our lives on it and then we found out that it just didn't work that way. Again, we'd have a hard time trusting it. And if it had no application for us today, if the questions that it asks and answers had no relevance for the questions of society today, we'd have no reason to even go to it. Am I, am I right? And so let's break these down today. I'm hoping to keep this relatively short because I understand that messages like this, they can get a little heady and we start to zone out when it's really hot. By the way, if anyone wants to donate money for a mini split air conditioner at some point. Anyways, I digress. How can we know that the Bible is accurate? Let's start with that. All right, because I'm sure that a lot of you, if you've been talking with any non-Christians or atheists or things, they've probably been like, well, I've heard that there's lots of differences between our biblical translations and the manuscripts and all of that. Or, um, and, and so how can, I, how can I trust what these things say? How can I trust that they're actually what was originally written? I've had people come up to me, people that say that they're Christians, and they're like, well, you know, yeah, the Bible's great, but only in its original form, the original copies, but we don't have any of those, so we can't actually trust anything that we have today. So that's basically like, I believe in the Bible, but I don't believe in the Bible, is is what people are saying when they're saying that. What's interesting here is that those same people will look at ancient historical documents— from around the same time period or even before, and they don't apply the same standard to those that they try to apply to Scripture. Let me give us some examples, all right? The first one is this. Homer's Iliad was written in around 800 BC, all right? Or if you're newfangled, BCE, all right? The earliest copy that we have is from 400 BC. That's 400 years difference, and we have 643 copies of Homer's Iliad. And those 643 copies actually are in 95% agreement with each other. They're pretty accurate to each other. Okay, so let's look at another one. We've got Plato's Republic. It was written around 400 BC, and again, the earliest copies that we have date from around 980, and we have a whopping seven manuscript copies. Seven. There's a 1,300-year time gap between when the original was penned and the earliest copy we have. Julius Caesar wrote the book The Gaelic Wars in 100 BC, but the earliest copy we have again 
dates back to around 900 AD, and we have a whole 10 copies of it. But you know what's so interesting? Is if you go to a historian and you ask them, can we trust the history in these books? You will not find a historian who doubts the accuracy of these documents to their originals. They're just like, yeah, that's a good historical document and we trust it. This is history. This is accurate. So let's look at the Bible, shall we? Because I know you're all wondering, okay, Stephen, you're setting us up for something. So the New Testament, let's start with that. The New Testament was written in the period between 500 and 100 AD. Or again, for you newfangled folks, CE. Okay? The earliest copy we have of the New Testament is from 125 AD. For those not good at math, that's 25 years. We have 24,000 manuscript copies in Greek, Latin, and other ancient languages. Furthermore, the Greek copies only deviate from one another by 0.5%. Friends, that's 99.5% accuracy. Like, <laughs> that's pretty good. But what about the Old Testament, right? Like, most of the time Christians are going, New Testament, yeah, I'm on board for the New Testament. But that Old Testament thing, like, nah, that thing's full of, of all kinds of issues. And for sure, right? Like some of the stories in the Old Testament are definitely hard for our modern brains to swallow, right? Guy's super strong. He gets a haircut. Now he's weak. Hair grows back. He knocks down an entire temple, right? Like guy loses his axe head. Someone throws a stick into the water and the axe head starts to float. Those are things that were like, I don't know, but it's in there. So let, let's find out. Is what the Old Testament, the Old Testament we have today, is it accurate to what we should have? Well, the Old Testament, uh, its compilation was essentially complete, uh, the Jewish scriptures, by 400 BC. The earliest copy that we had previously was from around 900 AD, or 1300 years. But here's what's so fascinating. In the mid-20th century, a treasure trove of preserved manuscripts were found called the Dead Sea Scrolls. These date from before the time of Christ. And when they have compared these manuscripts to our earliest copies that we previously had, you know what we found? Is that the transcription process, the copy process, has been so stringent that these manuscripts were 95% accurate to one another with a thousand-year gap between them and that the majority of the differences are actually differences in spelling. We take less provable, accurate documents as indisputable history. And then we say, no, no, no. The Bible, with all of that, it just, it can't be the, what it was when it was written. That, no, things have changed for sure. Big things. And yet, the, the Bible is definitively the document of ancient civilization that has been most verified and most accurately preserved throughout history. And yet, how many of us have had conversations with people? Oh, no, 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 the Catholic Church changed it. You've heard that, right? But the evidence says they didn't. 
The evidence says that the mistakes, not really all that many. And so from this, I think, in brief, obviously we can all do more research on this, but when I'm trying to speak for 20 to 30 minutes, I can only give you so much, right? <laughs> so go ahead and, and look these things up for yourself. Do the research into these things. I encourage you to. As we, we want to be thinking people of God. So, so in my mind, anyways, as I was researching, I went, man, this stuff's accurate. And I hope you're beginning to see this is accurate. But is it reliable? Can we look at the things that are in it and go, ah, oh, that, that relates to other areas that we learn things. Well, how we can l learn that, uh, or know that the Bible is reliable. Uh, this here is where I want to address the literal argument. All right. Now, if you've heard people say that the Bible just needs to be taken literally, and then you've read the Bible, you would probably, in fact, I would say certainly come to the conclusion that it can't possibly be reliable. Yet lots of Christians claim that they can take it literally. And, and let me tell you the reason why. It's because it's easy. I don't have to do any research. I just take the words at face value and I go and do. And yet I want to prove to you in just a sh couple short minutes that even those who take the Bible literally or say that they do as thinking people do not actually treat the Bible literally. All right. So I picked some random verses and, and I want to present them to you. First of all is Ecclesiastes 10 verse two, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. So let me explain the literal interpretation of that. Okay. What it means is if I am wise, my heart is pushing me to the right and if I'm a fool, it's leaning me to the left. Now, the argument could be made that it's like, well, wise people are conservatives and fools are liberals. I'm not making that argument. Just in case you're wondering. All right, but, but let's face it. Throughout history, I don't think every single civilization has referred to their conservative party and their liberal or progressive party with right and left. That's a fairly modern thing, all right? Now, we understand what this is saying, don't we? This is a metaphor saying, hey, a wise man's heart is fundamentally different in the direction that he goes from a fool. So you see, this is metaphor that we take it as. We don't take it literally because we would be stupid if we did. I'm just calling it how I see it, all right? Let's take another one. Psalm 62, verse 2. You see where I'm going with this. He alone, this is talking about God. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Should we take this literally that God is like my rock? He's like my pet rock? Or that he's like a big fortress that I'm standing inside like this building right now is God? Is that how we're supposed to take this? Or again, is this metaphorical for the foundation and protection that God gives us? Now, we, went to, we had English class in school, all of us, right? You can understand what a metaphor is? I want to give you one more, all right? Because this is all Old Testament. And sometimes we get in the habit of saying, well, Pastor Stephen, that's Old Testament. Doesn't matter. 
So let's let's take it to the new, shall we? Let's go to the book of John in the New Testament. This is a uh, a book of the Bible that uh, contains the recorded life of Jesus written down by one of his followers named John. And and he records Jesus saying, so Jesus, uh, so Jesus again said to him or them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Let me give us some context even. All who come, came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So are we to believe that Jesus is literally a door and we walk up to him and he's like, come eat grass. Have I made my point? <laughs> right? We don't take these things literally. Even if you're someone that says, no, I believe in the, the literal Bible. We have to take every word exactly as it's written on the page. We, we run into a problem because it's not meant to be read that way. See, I, I, I will agree that there are elements of Scripture that are intended to be taken at face value. Who Jesus is as God's Son is meant to be taken at face value. Though, you know what's interesting about that is that we actually learn much about who, who Jesus' divinity is or what Jesus' divinity is through allegory and metaphor. You've all read, in the beginning was the word. What word? That's right. But how do we know that? It's not written there. It's, it's, a, it's a metaphor, it's an allegory. And yet even in that, we see time and time again that it is very clearly explained in multiple places of Scripture that Jesus is God's Son, that Jesus died on the cross, that he did raise from the grave, and that he will return again. But we also need to understand that the books of the Bible, they contain poetry. Like we said, they contain metaphors. They contain rhetorical statements. They contain hyperbole. In fact, Jesus uses hyperbole a lot. They contain descriptive statements and narrative. And yet those themselves are written within the cultural, linguistic, and scholastic paradigms. That's a big word, I'm sorry. Framework. Okay? Of that particular place and time. And so you see, the Bible was never meant to be taken word for word, literally. Instead, as, as my, um, my one Old Testament studies seminary, seminary professor said, it's not meant to be taken literally, but literarily. Right? You understand the distinction? Literally is, what does the word exactly say. Literarily is as a genre of literature coming from a particular place and time, what is this trying to say? Now you can see this takes a bit more work, doesn't it? It really does. I'm sorry. (laughs) But we want to be faithful keepers of God's word. And when we bring things to the unchurched, because we believe God's word has power, don't we? When we bring things to the unchurched or to one another, we want to be able to go with confidence, not because, well, it's literally what it says, but because we have examined it with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want.
the Bible can't be said to be unreliable. Not because of that anyways. But even this argument that we hear sometimes that the Bible and science are opposed. And we talked about this a, a few months ago, right? Like Bible and science, they're actually, they're really not, not opposed. And yet people will say, well, you can't trust the Bible because it, it doesn't align with science. But here's interest, an interesting fact. Many scientists throughout history have actually been inspired by the Bible to go and seek truth. You've heard the names Galileo, Isaac Newton. These were believers in Jesus. People that were like, yeah, if God created a rational universe, then there has to be order and I need to examine it. Here's something that blew me away when I was doing my research. Did you know that 60% of the science and medicine Nobel Prize winners in the early 20th century were Christians? But were fundamentally opposed, of course, to all of these things, right? But 60% are people who say, yeah, I follow Jesus in the words of the Bible. Many historians and archaeologists, they also understand the Bible to be reliable. It, it, it's, it's indisputable these days. They, they will say, people try to say Jesus didn't exist. But even atheistic scholars say that's one argument you can't make. Jesus existed and, and whoever Jesus was, they said, died on a cross. And there were reports in both Christian and non-Christian histories that people were claiming that he didn't stay dead. And so they run into some problems because they're like, well, we can't say that Jesus didn't exist because like by our standards of any historical information, he is the most verifiable historical figure that we've ever had from the ancient world. And, and so it is that just like no one doubts the existence of, fi of figures like Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great, Jesus' life is so greatly attested to that in fact, Time Magazine actually reported that reputable scholars, this is a quote, reputable scholars now believe that the New Testament account is reliable history. Like, does that not make you go, Whoa! <laughs> Because I don't know if you're like me, but other than like from my Christian school, every, all the media I was ever exposed to was like Bible, you know? And yet here we are, we're seeing even non-Christian sources of information being like, you actually can't discount the information in this thing. Like they don't usually agree with the miracles, okay? But they're like, somebody witnessed something that they think was like this. I'll take it. You know what I mean? I'll take it. That's great. This is, this is amazing news for us who for so long have fought for people once again to treat the Bible as reliable. And now we're seeing that people who are anti-God are like, it's reliable. <laughs> That's awesome, right? And now we're also seeing that archaeology, we used to read things like, well, archaeologists have not yet found such and such site, so it didn't exist. Did you know that it seems like every five, ten years, they're like, so we just found such and such. Oh, this people group, it didn't exist. <laughs> we found it. <laughs> it just keeps on happening. They used to think that Nazareth wasn't a real place, and then they found it. 
They used to say that uh, Jericho's walls didn't fall down, and then they excavated and they found evidence of walls falling down. Like, it's, it's got to be horrible to be an atheist in these fields, because you're just like, I'm going to prove them. Oh, well, this time, oh, man, you know what I mean? So, so we've seen the Bible can be taken as accurate. It can be taken as reliable. And so there's one more thing I said that we would touch on. We're going to touch on this really briefly, all right? Is it applicable? How can we know that the Bible is applicable? Well, let me tell you how. I'm going to share some questions that we can get answers to from the Bible. And, and you tell me if you think that those questions are non-existent today. All right? Where'd the world come from? Does God exist? What happens when I die? Why is the world so messed up? Is there any purpose to life? Why is there sickness and disease? Why is there a human baseline of morality in every cultural group around the face of the earth? How can I manage my resources well? How can I thrive in my relationships? How can I find peace? How can I find comfort? How can I find joy? Now, would you say that those are questions we still seek answers to today? And so if those are still things that we want to know today, and the Bible has been addressing those things for millennia, does it not then figure that it's applicable? In fact, I would say that the majority of people who have lived lives in the Western world saying that they are living them with peace, that are out there caring for the needy, opening hospitals throughout history, people taking in orphans throughout history, it has been people who sought direction with open hearts from the Bible which I think we can confidently say is the word of God. Not because we're like we have to take every word literally, but just as in speech we understand when someone is using a figure of speech, we go, I believe that this is the literal word of God, but that it is to be taken literarily. And in that, because we have shown today in brief that the Bible is accurate, it is reliable, and it is applicable. Do you see where I come from in saying to you that while you might not be able to say that the Bible is to be taken literally, it is to be absolutely trusted. Absolutely trusted. Millions have found hope, comfort, and guidance in its words. They've received the truth of their purpose. They've met the God who inspired it in their day-to-day -day lives. And I can honestly say, I'm one of those people who has opened the word of God and sought the one who has written in its pages, revealed to us, and has experienced things that have sent me to my knees and made it so that even when life doesn't make sense, I say, above it all, I know one thing. Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And friend, if you're here today or you're online watching right now and you heard that chorus of amens, you need to understand that it's not just in the past there were millions who believed these things, but that today there are more Bible-believing Christians than there has ever been at any point in history ever. In our Western society, we look at things and we say, Christendom has fallen. Where's the church? I believe that the church is rising up again. If we're willing to change not our message, but the way that we go out there saying, only what scripture tells me is sacred. Everything else is on the table if it will bring people to Jesus. And around the world, that's what they're doing. We have a wonderful missionary couple here today and, and they've been working in other countries and they've been seeing God working in other nations. And I know in visits I've made to South America and Latin America and, and, and Ewan was out in Ghana there and he was seeing the response that people are having to the work of God and the message of Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you today that you can be a part of that movement too. You're not moving into something where you're alone, but you're joining the chorus of believers throughout history to the present day and into the future who say that the Bible is true. It is accurate. It is reliable. It is applicable. And that it's message that God has not given up on a humanity that tried to kick him to the curb, but that throughout history, he has relentlessly pursued us with his absolutely matchless love, leaving the 99 who are secure to run after that one person who has not yet said yes to him. And in fact, when humanity couldn't do it on their own, as he knew that they couldn't, he came to earth in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And he lived a perfect life. And you know what we did to this perfect, sinless, fully God, fully man? We brutally tortured him and murdered him. But in that moment, as God's plan unfolded, the perfect, innocent sacrifice of Jesus Christ washed away everything that holds us back from a relationship with God, that holds us back from being able to thrive as we step into the purpose that he created us for. If we will just say yes to the Jesus who didn't stay dead, but rose from the grave and who extends to us the promise of new life, eternal life right now, a transformation that takes place, a hope that wells up inside of us, that if we pass from this earth, we are with our Father in heaven. But more than that, that Jesus hasn't just left us alone, but that he gave us his Holy Spirit in the meantime to empower us to go forth and change the world. And that one day and throughout history, we have said the time is near. Jesus will return. And all the remnants of brokenness and purposelessness that remain in the world will be solved. As we're told in scripture, as every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think that deserves a praise God. So I want to lead you in a prayer today if you're wanting to give your life to Jesus. Before I do that, as everyone close their eyes and they, they bow their heads and they prepare for this moment, 
what I would like to ask you to do right now is if you want to give your life to Jesus today, will you raise your hand? If you're online, will you just mark in the comments there, I've decided to follow Jesus. We want to be able to follow up with you. We want to be able to give you a Bible, some devotional materials, and connect you with someone you can ask questions to and who can say, hey, you know what? This is great. Here's the next thing you can do to really grow in this relationship with Jesus. And as you're considering that call, I want to pray this prayer. And and if everyone in this room and everyone online, if you can just pray this after me so that we're all together in solidarity. And know that if you're praying this prayer from your heart today, that you are saying, my heart already believes this, but I am confirming it with my voice. So let's pray all around this place. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that I can trust that you are who you say you are. Thank you for sending your son for me. And thank you for your offer of salvation. Today I give you my life. Please give me yours. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and transform me with your love. I commit to following you today, every day, and thank you that when I fall down, you're faithful to pick me up again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you just prayed that from your heart today and gave your life to the Lord, I want you, if you're in person, grab that Connect card. And you'll see if you fill it out, you can check off, I've just given my life to Jesus. Just like with the, the new here checkbox, I want you to bring that to Corrine. She's going to wave at you. She's at the back there by the next steps table. If you give that to her, we have a gift that we want to put in your hands to get you started. And, uh, and, and if, hey, if you're new here and you gave your life to Jesus, then you get two gifts. So it's, it's really cool today, all of that. Uh, guys, you know I like to leave you with uh, something to do, right? Something that's a little bit more um, tangible. I guess you could say. So here's what I want to suggest to you, really encourage you to do. This this is a fundamental principle of following Christ today. If you haven't already, will you commit to start dedicating at least 15 to 20 minutes to reading and studying the Bible each day? And then be sure to tell someone at church what you're discovering during that time. It is such a powerful thing when we come together as Christians and we can just walk up and go, this is what God's been showing me, teaching me, challenging me in. How, what's he been showing you? And the great thing about that is not only are you encouraging others that God is working through scripture, but eventually people start to go, you know, whenever I hang out with those people, they ask me what I'm learning in my devotional time, and I'm realizing maybe I should have a devotional time. <laughs> Let's hold each other accountable to grow. We saw how powerful God's word is. It is accurate. It's reliable. It's trustworthy. It's applicable. So let's spend time in it together, shall we?